Welcome to Innovation Capital, presented by PatSnap. Here on Innovation Capital, we take a fresh, unfiltered look at some of the biggest topics shaping innovation today. Leave everything you know about innovation at the door, because you have now entered a universe where we turn established ideas on their head and ask the questions that fuel great innovation, growth and scalability. This is Innovation Capital. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Chohan, and welcome back to episode two of Innovation Capital, presented by PatSnap. Today, we're in for a treat and joined by Dr. Jim Gregory, the pioneer of the core brand index and chairman of the brand innovation consultancy firm, Tenet Partners. Jim's a five-time author and noted speaker on corporate branding and developing a sustainable framework to measure, value, and manage intangible assets and their connection to corporate financial performance. We're very excited to have him as our guest today. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Jim. So morning, Jim. Welcome to Innovation Capital. So just to kick off with, we're really excited to have you on board today. And what I'd love to kick off with is a little bit about your story, actually, Jim. We've really enjoyed researching uh, your background. It's been loads of fun, (laughs) our team here. So I'd love to hear your story and where this all started and how you ended up in this wonderful world of <laughs> tangible assets. So Jim, if we could kick off there. Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, well, I, I, uh, I'm currently a senior fellow with a conference board, part of the uh, Innovation and Digital Transformation Group. And I happen to be working on a project called Making Intangibles Tangible. So I think that's a perfect lead-in to your entire uh, <laughs> discussion this morning. Um, the way I got started on this, it's, it started uh, in 1990. I was actually uh, writing my first book on the subject uh, called Marketing Corporate Image. And I was interviewing a gentleman by the name of Richard Costello, who was the chief marketing officer of GE at the time. And uh, we... Uh, uh, he in during the interview he said Jim he said I know you believe in the, in this uh, work that corporate brand brings value to the company he said but when I go into Jack Welch and ask for uh, an increase in budget he comes back and says uh, what's the return on investment and since it's not it's an intangible asset the corporate brand is an intangible asset it's not on the balance sheet. And, you know, Richard said, you know, I can I can prove to him that it improves familiarity or even favorability toward the company, but I can't prove a connection to financial performance. And that is actually that that uh, half hour conversation with uh, with Richard changed my whole career. I prior to that, I owned an advertising agency called Gregory and Clyburn. After that, I became a consultant uh, and, and the company became core brand. And uh, it just happened that fast. And, and what we did is was uh, we had a blank slate. We really didn't have any parameters set on us to develop this model. And so 
uh, we began to see what kind of research was out there on this subject. We began to look at best practices of various companies, companies who built their brands over time, and be able to understand that. We began to get feeds of information like uh, financial performance, uh, stock performance, um, and uh, and then we began a, a major research study, uh, a, a longitudinal quantitative research study uh, that became known as the Core Brand Index. So this is fascinating out of a happenstance conversation with, with GE that kind of sparked you going down this rabbit hole. I'm fascinated too, because I hear these moments so many times with leaders and entrepreneurs like yourselves, where things just click in that very moment. In that kind of random conversation many, many years ago, what could you see? What were the weak signals you could smell, which made you think, wow, let's really dig in? What was, do you recall something in particular? Well, it was actually um, when, when Richard was, and I were discussing this, he actually said, you know, we, we really got into it and really said, could that be done? Could we actually do this? And one of the things that he said was, uh, you know, if you accomplish this, it'll change the whole the industry. It'll change everything. And I believe that is still the case. We have not yet changed everything. We have not yet changed the world of account accounting and way the way uh, financials uh, view accounting. Uh, but um, uh, we do believe that th- this is still an ongoing process. You're part of that process. We're part of that process. Everyone who does brand valuations or valuations uh, th- and, and understand intangible assets are really uh, contributing to this this momentous sea change of valuation and how how companies account for their their intangible assets. And your contributions fascinating to this space. So you codified this really interesting core brand index, right. CBI, which is used by best in class organizations around the world now as we sit here in 2020. But what was the actual journey there on kind of shaping that version one of CBI? And actually, what year did that all start? Well, it, it uh, started in 1990. And uh, basically, as I said, we had a clean slate. Uh, having GE behind you and 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 uh, and Dow Jones was part of this uh, effort. Uh, we had a lot of companies supporting us to try to find this solution. And uh, what we what we found is there were there was research studies out there that existed, but they 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 were inadequate for for really looking across the board and being able to understand the whole ecosystem of intangible assets. So what we did is we took a we took it an outside perspective, a, a, a out of the box kind of thinking on on how brands are created. And when I talk about brands, I talk about corporate brands, how the image of a company is created. And to be able to quantify that, we then did research and we chose an audience. One of, one of the problems we saw is that when studies were done, they were going to vertical audiences. They would go out to employees of, of companies in the automotive industry, for example. And the automotive industry, there are more employees at GE than anywhere else at that time. So, so uh, GE would always win the beauty contest. We decided not to do that and to go out to a horizontal audience. And that was a major, major change. And, and we also chose uh, impartial observers as, as our target audience. 
Now, impartial observers are made up of business executives, but not from the industry in which we were doing the research. So, uh, and they also happen to be very, very good consumers. And we, we began to do this research. Uh, we do 8,000 telephone surveys a year. We track 800 companies across 50 different industries, and we've done it consistently since 1990. So version one lasted from 1990 to 2016. So it was, it's been very, very solid, very continuous, consistent research. Uh, and that there's no other research database of its kind on corporate reputation. And the things that we measure are overall reputation, perception of management, investment potential. And the thing that we, that changed in 2016 is we added a new, a, a, a new attribute, uh, which is culture of innovation. So this, this, this is absolutely consistent research. One of the, one of the problems when, when you're one of these major companies uh, is very few of them actually do continuous uh, benchmark tracking on their own uh, corporate brands. It's just too expensive or it's annoyance or they don't see the value in it. And so when, when something would happen, when they would have a crisis, we could go back in time and identify the point of that crisis and be able to tell what would happen to their, their corporate brand as a result of the, the crisis and how deep it would go. And we could tie it into financial performance, uh, specifically their, their, corp, their um, stock price, the premium people are willing to pay on the stock price, which is identified as the cash flow multiple. So we were able to look at that and, and analyze whether uh, what kind of an impact that would have. Uh, and beyond crisis, it could have you can measure launches of, of new uh, campaigns, uh, corporate campaigns, PR campaigns, IR campaigns. Uh, what would happen if you get a new CEO? Uh, how will that impact the the company's performance? And and be able to use that as is to have the ability to measure the CEO's performance. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then the primary tool that we developed for GE was, was uh, how much spending would it take to really move the needle in terms of familiarity and favorability, but also how would that impact uh, long-term financial performance of the company? And major, major corporations have used this. Uh, it, uh, see uh, when we, when we, uh, when CEOs embraced what we do, and they, uh, and we took the time to explain to them how it works, that it's not a a tool specifically to drive stock performance, but to analyze. It's a management tool to analyze how you're doing compared to your competitors and compared to the industry, and to be able to outperform them. And when when uh, when CEOs understood that, they used this like an incredible tool to help manage the major decisions in their company. Interesting. It's interesting you touch upon the CEO and how that's attached to brand. And, and it's fascinating. You, you touched upon the point that it wasn't really built to drive market cap and the share price. However, as we stand today, we're seeing some really interesting trend analysis on kind of preeminent chief execs like Elon Musk or Jack Dorsey of Twitter, who actually play a big role in the brand and the public perception of the business. Do you see that as a trend moving forward? I mean, those are two really interesting examples, but 
is that is that part of the pattern looking forward where the exec team, senior execs actually really help drive the brand huh. and help drive market cap? There's an, absolutely no doubt about it. Um, back when this was in its heyday, uh, we had Jack Welch, for example, who, who was a dynamic CEO for for half the period of time that we we managed it, uh, or, or that that uh, you know half the time that the core brand index existed. And then we had there was a change where Jeff Emelt came in and became the CEO from there. Totally different patterns of value creation completely different. The dynamics that were driving the company changed dramatically. Um, uh, and and it, was just, it was just phenomenal. And I can't say one was better than the other. They both had their strengths and both had their weaknesses. Um, and it's, it's definitely what, what a CEO says and what he does has such an impact on a company that it is very, very important to be able to, to have real-time uh, evaluations on that real-time analysis, and uh, th- when you have this baseline, you can contr- can do con- um, controlled experimentation to see what types of things would happen if a if a company makes a change, if they change their CEO, or if they're if the CEO. We had one CEO when he would go live on television, uh, the stock price would go down. It was just, it was fascinating. And the more you use this kind of research, quantitative longitudinal uh, research, the more you begin to develop these what if scenarios. And there's nothing we like better than getting what if questions from the, from the CEO of a, of a major corporation, because that, that then we can actually dig into the research, dig into the data and be able to analyze how and what to do about it. In the most simplest form factor, can you tell us about the corporate brand index in the most in, in layman form factor? What actually is it and what led you to create it? Well, it, it is a quarterly uh, update of research. We do 8,000 telephone surveys a year, so it's not done uh, uh, you know, by computer. It's, it's done the hard way. Uh, of course, in 1990, that was that was more uh, and expected, uh, that type of research. The data is rolled up on a quarterly basis, and we measure overall reputation, perception of management, investment potential, and the culture of innovation. So those are the descriptive attributes, um, what, I, what I call intangible attributes that are descriptive of intangibles, not necessarily the intangibles themselves. And uh, so that's an outside perception. If somebody thinks uh, your company is innovative, well, your company may or may not be innovative, but that's the perception that's out there. And so that's a very important measurement to have. That, that makes sense. And, it, and it's interesting now looking at some of the other assets classes in the world of in, intangible assets. How do you see assets like patents, trademarks, tacit knowledge being stitched together with brand is there is there crossover is there a, oh, yeah is there scenarios where they're all kind of packed together and and drive that overall value on the balance sheet patents have advantages and disadvantages one one of the things that we've we found is that was patents were one of the few things uh and trademarks were one of the few things that would show up periodically on on the balance sheet or in the annual reports because you can identify a specific patent and be able to do analysis around around it 
But doing it on a large scale, being able to determine whether a, a patent is early in its uh, uh, development or late or whether it's cutting edge or, or old, uh, whether it's uh, a, a really a value or not, was a very subjective thing. And, and so we found that that was kind of a hole in our, in our research. Um, uh, our, our, you know, and that's one of the things, I mean, we just, I had a demo of, 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 uh, of, uh, what your folks, your folks are doing. And, uh, PatSnap is absolutely incredible. And, and it fills that gap totally, uh, in terms of the, uh, putting a, the actual value on the patents and providing a complete landscape of the patent in the context of the industry. I mean, it is extraordinary what you've done. Um, and I think it really fills a hole in, in our research. Anytime you can be consistent and be precise in your measure, uh, and precise is directionally precise. It's not, as I said, if, you know, a culture of innovation, a company may or may not be innovative, but it's the perception of that company being innovative that is, is very important to, to our work. Brilliant. And, and and it's interesting seeing how organizations are trying to really reflect these assets on the balance sheet and move stock price. You, you touched upon earlier in this conversation that it doesn't really move the needle on the share price. Do you see that trend changing moving forward where it really is driving, say, um, capital towards a particular equity? And when, for example, you've got institutional investors, hedge funds looking at a particular company, are they really now taking into account these intangible asset classes, Jim? Oh, boy. I think they... I, I, I don't I can't get into the mind of the um, institutional investors. We've we've tried to understand them. They would if you call them and ask them what drove them to pick a certain stock, uh, intangible assets would never come up. Uh, however, as uh, you know, as we know, uh, intangible assets are becoming more and more uh, part of the, the the total value of the company, and so I think that. I think there is a trend that uh, that CEOs and, and the senior management of companies are beginning to nurture the intangible assets of their company and be able, being able to understand and be able to talk about uh, that value. And that, in turn, creates um, a higher cash flow multiple. Think, think, of, think of Apple, for example. Apple has has uh, a culture of innovation. They have a great reputation. They have good management. They're wonderful investment potential. All of those things in our in our core brand index line up to to say Apple should have a premium on its stock price, and it does. And that premium is identifiable through the cash flow multiple. Uh, and uh, there's also the perception of, of innovation on their products. So there's a premium on their products. I'm perfectly willing to pay a higher price to buy an Apple product than I am their competitors. And so you get this, what we call both sides of the value equation. 
Right now, Apple is coming out uh, with some tremendous new uh, advances, really highly innovative things. And it's reflected both in the, in the price and their, their soaring stock price, as well as their, the price on their products. And, uh, you know, they're really on a tear, tear right now. And, and uh, I just think it's uh, uh, quite remarkable. So are they managing their intangible assets? You bet they are. An interest, interesting little aside. Um, I met one of the uh, the senior folks who worked for Steve Jobs uh, many years ago, and uh, he uh, he uh, when I first met him uh, over lunch, uh, he said, uh, "Oh, Jim Gregory." He said, oh, the, "The Core Brand Index." I said, "Yes." I was so so pleased that he knew it, and he said, "Steve Jobs hated you." <laughs> I said, "My goodness, I'm so honored. <laughs> Why did he hate me?" And he said, because you, you ranked the company lower than he thought it should be. Well, I didn't rank the company lower. The, the perceptions of that company were lower than the, uh, by, by these intang- or impartial observers, was lower than, their, than some key competitors. And it advanced consistently over time. And it's that change over time that is so important. It's not just one quarter. It's advancing these ideas, these intangible assets, quarter after quarter after quarter, looking out at the long term and being able to to reinvest, invest and reinvest in your corporate brand, but also in the corporate brand in the uh, ecosystem of all intangible assets. Yeah, it's interesting. This whole ranking system, I've been observing your CBI ranking, especially from Q2 of 2020 this year. And you've got some of the usual suspects on there, which didn't which didn't surprise us at all. But looking at this year in particular, and also with COVID-19, obviously with Pfizer and Moderna hopefully doing something stunning in terms of coming up with a vaccine and hopefully getting it to manufacturing soon, that will be at unprecedented speed. So what we're seeing in the market now is this whole new value being placed on research and development. I think every man, woman and dog now appreciates R&D after this year, which was really good for us in terms of our mission, because we're trying to evangelize the massive importance of R&D and how it touches people's lives. And 2020 has been an accelerant of that. So looking forward, do you think because of COVID-19 and and what's happened this year, an organization's R&D perception, the way it reflects on their balance sheet in terms of spend, do you think that that's going to be a force multiplier in terms of their market cap, their valuation, and just generally how they're perceived in, in public, Jim? Oh, I absolutely think it'll have a huge impact. The C's change. And things happen that bring a lot of attention to to uh, different trends. Right now, that's a very important trend. There's no doubt about it. Uh, R&D is extremely important, especially in the pharmaceutical and bi- biosciences. Uh, it's just uh, driving everything right now. Um, but I, I think that there are many other things. As you look back in history, especially when we started the um, – the core brand index, uh, there are many things contributing to growth. I mean, the entire computer revolution happened 
primarily during that time. Uh, the World Wide Web, I mean, brought the whole world together. Uh, Amazon and the impact that it had on on uh, retail markets, efficiencies in, in advertising and, and the cost uh, reduction in, in advertising, big data, analytics, customer experience management. Uh, all of these things have helped in the growth of intangible assets is is a an asset class uh and there's there's not right now it's it's r&d it's it's patents it's it's uh there are a lot of things happening and it's leadership as well leadership has one been one of the continuous uh ones that's always always shown up uh it's very very important um and you you know leaders in in different in it, within an industry, you can identify the leaders that really are visionaries, uh, that have a view of the, of the future that that people want to invest in. People want to get behind that. And and uh, uh, the ones that are really savvy are, are the ones that uh, uh, where you see their their uh, intangible assets growing as a percentage of the whole company. And the way they reflect on the balance sheet now at an accounting level these different asset classes. Do you think things are being done well now and are the right things being reflected and considered? Where do you think we are from a looking at it from the CFO's office level in terms of reflecting it on the balance sheet, Jim? Well, after I sold my company uh, in 2013 and, and uh, I went back to school and, and actually uh, got a doctorate in statistics, considering my background, I was a graphic designer in my undergraduate world and uh, when I did a doctorate in statistics because I really wanted to better understand this this analysis and the, and what was driving various factors and also the fact that that I wanted to study more than just the corporate brand I wanted to see how the how the impact of intangibles would affect the whole company so uh, that's that's what I what I did after I sold the company in 2013 and I defended my dissertation uh, in, in 2018, it was uh, called the, the impact of innovation on the cash flow multiple is the title of it. But the CFO has always been the enemy of marketing. Marketing can have the best idea in the world. They take it to the CFO and the CFO says, it's just an expense. I don't. I don't see the return on investment. The Jack Welsh conundrum. And what we, uh, one of the things I did before I launched my uh, dissertation, I did a, um, a, a a survey of CFOs, some that I knew and some that I were, were granted me a special a special uh, discussion, and I really expected a hostile audience uh much to my surprise <laughs> and not only not only did i expect a hostile audience i was hostile I, I i walked into my first interview i said what the hell's the matter with you people you know that you don't understand intangibles and you don't and, we, and i learned very quickly they do understand intangibles they do understand the value of intangibles they do understand that intangibles are growing as a percentage of the total value of the company. But they also understand that their role is not to help us. 
not to help the people who are trying to measure brands, not trying to solve the issue for the marketing folks, not trying to solve the issue for investors about why this value is so important and so fundamental to the, to the meaning of the company. Their job is to stay on track, on their tracks and not deviate from that. And those tracks are very regimented. So, they finally said, if you, if you really feel strongly enough, what you should do is go to the Financial Accounting Standards Board and speak to them and petition them for, for making changes. So I did. I, I led a blue ribbon panel to, the, to uh, speak to the Financial Accounting Standards Board. They were very courteous. They, we, we had a great meeting. Uh, and we ended up with the fact that they said, our job is to protect the accountants, the CFOs. We keep them on that track so that they are not ending up in jail. And we don't, our job is not to satisfy you. Well, that really brought a, a real clarity to the issue of why CFOs resist this. And I think where we are today, companies like yours and, and the one that I, I had that I sold to tenant partners, they need to not try to fight the CFO or try to in demand to be part of the financial accounting system, generally accepted accounting principles. We're never going to be part of the generally accepted accounting principles. Never is a big word, but it's going to be a long time. What I think that we, we need to do is develop very simple, very clear systems for understanding that value and being able to report that value on a consistent basis. And by doing that, you then have uh, a more, you build trust with the, uh, the investors and, and the SEC and management of company. And, be, and so they can begin to use these things as management tools to better manage the company. When the accounting world comes around, it'll be a much easier pill to swallow than demanding that they you know, fall in line and, and see the logic of this huge percentage of the company that is relating to intangible assets. And it's interesting when you talk about going into that situation, and it was quite a <laughs> a fiery room with some kind of heated energy in, in the room. You bring back some memories there, Jim, because I remember I was at a conference in, in Munich in Germany back in 2013, and I was just casually walking past a particular booth, and this organization were building out a methodology and also a software platform focused around valuing patents and it was a really colorful conversation to say the least it was based out in Germany so there were some very strong opinions there which was excellent to observe but the sparks were flying Jim there were people huddled around a particular product demonstration saying oh this doesn't really make sense some really believed so I was just curious Jim in the formative years and actually even now with the corporate brand index does it throw up that heated debate where some people are non-believers, some are believers? Where are we at now? Do you, do you still see that? And how do you overcome that? What I have seen is actually less understanding. Back in the 90s, people were hungry. They, they had no explanation for 
why CFOs were rejecting their their good ideas. Um, and, and, and this is not just advertising and, and PR and that sort of thing, but it were things really important things like the HR department coming up with training programs or R and D, you know, how much should we invest in R and D and, and then trying to get those, those, uh, budgets approved and being bashed over the head. And w- what we found is, that hasn't really changed that much. Even though there's an understanding of the CFO, they just have it so ingrained that they that they find it very, very difficult to uh, broaden their horizons around uh, a, another type of system for management. So what I felt really uh, is to not have those discussions with the CFO, to say, I'm not trying to change GAP. We believe generally accepted accounting principles are here to stay. However, this is a management tool. This is a way to manage one of the biggest asset classes in your company. And uh, it's simply an outside look. And you may choose to put this on your balance sheet or put it in the director's notes of your annual report, or you may choose not to. It's entirely up to you. But allow your team to have some system in place to be able to communicate consistently across your organization. And that seems to resonate. And we have, find that the CFOs are less resistive of that. But you also need the CEO as a champion. CEO is really required. Uh, support at the board level is very, very important and helpful. Uh, having uh, board level uh, people bring the, the, the ideas to the attention of the CEO doesn't hurt. Um, we, we have found that that was uh, very useful. But uh, I've been talking to the conference board folks. I mean, they're, they're made up of members uh, all, all around the world. It's a quite a prestigious organization. Uh, and they have the same issues that they had forever, but they are afraid to bring these issues to the senior management of the company. And the issue is, how do I ask for a budget when the results are not on the balance sheet. Thank you for that. That sheds more color and context. And looking at now, I was studying earlier this week, you've got the the most top 100 powerful brands 2020, and the usual suspects were there. You've got your Apples, your PepsiCo's, the Walt Disney Company. One which surprised me, which I don't think appeared on the list, at least not in the top 20, was Tesla and organizations like Square, which which quietly surprised me. But looking forward to the next three to four, five years, who do you think are some of the emergent trailblazers who will make the top 20 gyms? Companies who you really admire from a distance who are doing it well. Yes. The, the reason you don't, uh, why Tesla was not in that top group is not because they're not a trailblazer. It's, they certainly are. They're, they they have incredible amount of intangible value uh, and, uh, and, and their great leadership and direction and all of those things. The system that, that is used in the core brand index is it measures familiarity and favorability and rates the familiarity on, on a scale that if you're not real familiar with the company, uh, 
you, your favorability scores don't count as much. That was one of the reasons Steve Jobs hated me, uh, because the, the system that we have, uh, while very consistent, has an issue with up and comers. And it tends to, uh, tends to, uh, shine better light on the companies, older, older companies where the familiarity is, is much broader and, 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 uh, uh, the favorability has been around for a long time. That doesn't mean you can't measure uh, the momentum of a company or the, the volatility, the growth, uh, and the uh, clarity by which they speak. The current uh, report that you're talking about is, is simply a, a, a snapshot. Uh, when you really dig in, you can really see the strength of the company and what is really driving the growth and the value of the company and and be able to project out into the future, the strength of the company and the future potential value of the company. And then on a broader sense now, putting CBI to one side and just looking at from a macro overview, where do you see some of the big innovations in, in, in your space right now? So when it comes to measuring intangible assets, be it brand, be it patents or trademarks, is there some exciting developments on the horizon which kind of make you lean in and think, wow, this is really going to move the needle in this space? Well, I have to say modestly, I think I'm on the leading edge here of, uh, of some things. Um, the dissertation that I uh, just did concluded uh, in, in 2018 really puts a new a new um view of of how brands are measured and valued. Uh, Brad Puckey, uh, who uh, just defended his dissertation a few weeks ago, he was my head of research for for uh, the whole time, for decades at, at, uh, at Tenant Partners. And uh, he just got his dissertation and his uh, 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 dissertation title was the impact uh, of the corporate brand on revenue side. So the two uh, dissertations are really leading edge ideas around this valuation and how to look at, at corporations and the value that they create. Uh, uh, I love I, I love what you guys are doing. I think uh, you're, you're absolutely on the leading edge, uh, and it's and it's such a thrill to see your work. Um, I, I just love it. I, if I had known it was there years ago, I would have I would have jumped all over it, uh, and and I may yet. <laughs> well, brilliant. Well, well, Jim, it's been fantastic meeting you today and learning about your wonderful journey and. And I want to say congratulations from where you've taken this from the early 90s to even what you're doing now with your current kind of organization. We, we think it's brilliant. We'll be close observers here at PatSnap. So, Jim, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, please stay safe. Please that, stay well. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Cheers. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jim Gregory, for chatting with us today about his important and pioneering work, the Core Brand Index and how to better understand intangible assets like brands and how they can grow in value. If you'd like to learn more about tracking the intangible assets of your competitors, you should download our free ebook, The Connected Innovation Intelligence Blueprint, which explores the importance of having a connected view across the IP landscape and other innovation data sources. Download your copy today at www.patsnap.com forward slash tag forward slash ebook until next time continue to embrace your childlike wonder and stay curious <laughs>